Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. We have Dr. Taylor Day, but we like to call her Dr. Tay, who is a licensed clinical psychologist. She specializes in the early diagnosis intervention of autism. She also feels passionate about supporting parents as they learn to shift their parenting approaches, make changes to prioritize their autistic child's needs. Dr. Tay utilizes a whole family approach, which is a comprehensive model, including evidence-based interventions for autistic children and their siblings and coaching parents to become more aware of their thoughts and feelings. Her methods focus on promoting neurodiversity and listening to autistic voices. As a business owner, Dr. Tay is committed to challenging the status quo in the mental health field. She provides high-touch concierge clinical services in 30-plus states. I'm super excited because I haven't really had anyone on this show yet in almost four seasons talking about autism and understanding it from a different perspective. So let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. We have Dr. Tay here, not what I wrote on our Zoom meeting, which was Dr. Yay. Uh, thank you, spell check for that one. And I'm super excited because I don't think that this topic is very popular or or that big on social media to talk about. And it needs to be because I don't know the statistics, but I feel like a lot of people in the world today are on the autism spectrum. So why are we not? Why I just don't see it that often. Maybe we can talk about that later. Um, but Dr. Tay, can you introduce yourself to the listeners and let them know what you're all about? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So um, my real name is Dr. Taylor Day. I go by Dr. Tay on social media. Dr. Tay Day. Yeah, Dr. Tayday. Yeah. Um, and I am a clinical psychologist specializing in the in autism, specifically the early diagnosis and the early intervention of autism. So what that means is, you know, historically a lot of my patients have been little tiny children, like toddlers, preschoolers. Um, we actually can diagnose autism at a very, very young age, much younger than people realize. So as early as 14 months of age, we know from research that diagnoses are stable. So yeah, I will see one-year-olds, you know, and assess them for autism. So it's a really, really fun job. And I recently um, transitioned out of academia. I was doing autism research and transitioned into my own private practice full time where I take a little bit more of a holistic approach working not only with the children and supporting them and their needs, but also supporting the parents and their needs, as well as even the other siblings in the family or other caregivers. It's a definitely a whole family approach because I think that is so incredibly missing, but also so incredibly needed. You know, it's, it's funny that I've been having people on the show recently and they keep using the word holistic. And the funny thing that I have found is, isn't that what it has always should have been. That wasn't mm -hmm. good English, but the idea of silos and looking at one issue as the only thing to look at versus the entirety of a person is why I love mental health in the way I was trained in this day and age. But it wasn't always like that. It was, you only deal with the head and you don't touch their life. Yeah. But psychologists would deal with the head and social workers would deal with case management. And there's a full picture that you can help someone that isn't out of your field of structure or out of your comfort zone, 
But yes, if I'm going to GI doctor, I really hope he doesn't start giving me neurological testing, but it doesn't mean suggesting a full picture or full panel or full understanding of yourself isn't important for a doctor to find out. And only recently is holistic being like an accepted thing or even a pushed idea for people in the mental health world or the helping world to do. I used to work at an organization um, my first year in grad school, and it was for chronic illness and um, cancer and, and, and very uh, unfortunate rare diseases. And we and I helped run the after-school program for the other kids mm. in the family that weren't had no diagnosis but just needed love, support, and compassion because the parents were just so busy. And we had parent things. You know, I find it so amazing. And I want to backtrack a second because I always ask this of professionals. I'm always amazed but what gets someone into a certain area of focus? I know why I love relationships. I know why I'm an anxiety specialist. And I know why I do parenting. What pushed you into this direction? Yeah. So autism actually runs in my family. So it was something from a very, very young age that I was familiar with that, you know, I was gaining knowledge and I actually remember um, I was in high school, and so our high school had what was called an international baccalaureate program. It's similar to like the AP type of classes, but it's more worldwide. And I was doing this diploma program and had to write a thesis. And I remember this distinctively. I was like, I want to write it on, you know, the early intervention of autism. And my advisor was like, no, 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 that's like way too ambitious of a topic. Like you can't do that basically. And he told me that flat out. And I was like, Nope, I'm doing it. Like I can be a little stubborn and not, this is not as a means to brag, but what was really interesting is, you know, this is a worldwide thing. And my essay was recognized as one of the top 50 and it's not even about the essay. It was about my passion at the time. I knew from a very early age that because it impacted my family and because I had this knowledge that I wanted to be able to help other families. Um, and it's also really interesting to think about how I did go down the academic path for quite some time and then circled back around to being like, wait a minute, why did I get in this field? And it was to help families. And I love going so to speak, like all in with the families I work with, like um, I have a really unique practice model that it's a concierge private practice. And so what that means is patients have much greater access to me. They can contact me, you know, right now, the way that it's set up, like they have my personal phone number and we'll, we'll go back and forth if they need support outside of session. And I, I, yeah. And it's, it's so incredibly rewarding. I get texts all the time being like, you know, my kid did this today for the first time, or thank you for this. I'm seeing the impact in X, Y, and Z ways. Yeah. I also see we're really stuck right now, you know, and that would have had to wait till that next session. Mm -hmm. And so being able to go all in, in this way has mm -hmm. brought me back to my passion, like no other. Mm. You know, I have a, a uh, feeling that I'm going to get emotional during this, uh, uh, during this, uh, recording because, you know, for my family, autism has been something that has been a part of our life. Mm -hmm. My, my first cousin couldn't carry conversations for years. Um, I didn't know him and our relationship is very, 
removed compared to my other cousin. His brother, older brother, is my age, who I love to pieces. And I love my cousin. And uh, my brother-in-law is on the spectrum. And uh, and uh, I, I'm neurodiverse myself. I have ADHD. And, and the idea of understanding and being seen is something that I think is so important. And mm-hmm. I remember growing up in my community. So I'm, I'm Jewish. And mm-hmm. in my, my Jewish community, there is an organization called Yachad, um, which means unity. Mm-hmm. And they would run weekend retreats in communities, bringing people on the spectrum to communities to stay in people's homes, eat with people, and have, you know, counselors who worked for the organization, volunteers, come along to create an understanding of seeing the other that's not like you. And I was always afraid. I was always uncertain. And I got that from my dad. My dad was very uncomfortable. Uh, he didn't know how to be. Um, and I remember I told you before that my wife and I, when we were dating, she was very involved in organization. And she said, if you can't get comfortable with us hosting things like this at our home or being involved in organization, we cannot work together. Cause I want, I, I want my home to be open to my kids and our children to be understanding human beings. Yep. And I, I went on a weekend retreat with her. And when I started seeing them as human beings and just like us who want to have fun and be a, be a person in this world, everything falls away. Absolutely. So to hear that you are such a supportive person for the full spectrum, no pun intended, but the full of who, of everything, how do you create that boundary for yourself to not get so pulled in? Because I'm sure some therapists here like read, they're going, no, what are you doing? Probably. Phone calls. You know, guys, this is modern mental health. So like mm-hmm. relax yourself, unclench your, you know, yourself and, and relax. But the biggest question I have is good for you that you, you do that. How do you create that sense? Cause you get so invested when you finally see them for who they are and not a diagnosis and get afraid or get worried or concerned. But as a human, how do you not get so pulled in? So how do you create that space for yourself? Yeah. Oh, I love that you asked this question because this has become also an area of passion for me is breaking the status quo of the mental health field. We were trained in one way. And if I'm going to be really blunt about this, I feel like most of us were trained to be martyrs where it's like, you know, you, you set out to like serve people and that's first and foremost. And I will say I have a really low caseload and that is intentionally designed that I do, do not take insurance because insurance won't reimburse at the rates for the intensity of what I am giving. You do. Yeah. Yeah for these families. Um, and I am working, you know, to find, you know, more affordable options too, for families that don't have the resources to be able to afford private pay in this way. But at the end of the day, when we're private practice owners, we are business owners. And, you know, I think sometimes that in the therapy world, we forget that we are running a business and it is okay to run a business that supports your lifestyle and to have an income that supports your lifestyle. Because what I am finding by having higher prices, I see less patients, but that allows me to give much 
higher quality of care. The, mm-hmm. Again, I go all in on these families. And so I think people hear like they have access to me. They have my personal phone number and they're going, wow, like, no, we don't do that. And it's like, we don't do that as a form of burnout prevention. But when we flip the model on its head and start to ask about like, how do we design a practice that truly serves our clients and serves us at the same time? And that and is so incredibly important. Then you're able to find a rhythm. So, you know, I tell all my clients that it's not immediate access. You know, I will always respond within 24 to 48 hours, although they know if I'm going away and on vacation, like I'm not afraid to let them know that like I'm human and I need breaks and I need mental health days too. And, but most times what happens is I do respond much more quickly because I want to, I don't ever feel obligated to respond to them because I know if I'm responding out of obligation, then I most likely am not showing up for them fully. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I I make sure that I'm showing up for them fully before I respond. I love that. And, I, you know, one of the reasons I started doing what I'm doing, like one of the reasons I have this podcast, and yes, it is called The Dude Therapist. It's only because I'm a dude who's a therapist. <laughs> yeah. That's it. And a friend of mine's like, oh, that'd be a great name. And I'm like, oh, that's a good name. And I just <laughs> went with it because I didn't want to do Ellie Weinstein's podcast because that's yeah. – boring. Um, and one of the biggest things that I try to do, and I had a supervisee, so I was a supervisor at a clinic and it was just breaking the things that they learned in school that were so strict and restricting as a real therapist. Mm -hmm. I have a Google voice number. It is freaking attached to my phone. Mm -hmm. I get it right to my cell phone. You don't think I see it all the time? Of course I do. What's the difference between my personal phone and my Google voice number? What, I can screen my phone call better? Yeah. Big whoop. And I think if we started treating our clients as humans instead of like a case number and a file number or a diagnosis, the care that the clients would feel would be such a distinctive difference of change for them because it wouldn't be a professional expert to a lowly person, but just a person to person. And I think that's one of the biggest things if we're going into the world that you deal with is the support that you give to parents is normalizing and making them feel seen. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I, as a parent of two kids need that also, right? right? But like all the more so. So what are some of the things I want to, I have a lot of questions in my mind and, and we might have to have you on again for part two. I'm not <laughs> even kidding. I'll say that now because my brain is like, I've, I wrote a lot of questions down before we were going to talk. And it just, and since we kind of pushed off a week is like, I got more questions. <laughs> Early diagnosis, right? Yeah. There are a lot of myths and things, and it's a very controversial conversation about what causes mm-hmm. autism, right? And I, I'm going to be blunt. I could care less what Jim Carrey's wife says, right? That's who it was with the vaccines. like I think it's a ridiculous thing that's never been proven. And the doctor even said it wasn't real. So, like, if you want to cancel me, please do for that reason. Go <laughs> suck a lemon. Go suck a lemon. Thank you. But for the people who actually think about it for a second, right, at what age and what are people – what are the things that are, quote, unquote, a regular or neurotypical development versus a neurodiverse development that parents 
who might have kids ages zero to let's say year old yeah. should be worried or, or not even worried, but just aware of. Right. I mean, I would, I would probably bump it up a little bit because I think I don't want parents to be like super hyper vigilant where they're like, oh gosh, like is every little thing, you know, um, please you're the wrong. expert. Tell me. Yeah. So it, it's this balance because I see parents then are that, you know, for example, let me just comment on the cause thing real quick, because one of the things we know from extensive research, there is a very strong genetic base um, to autism. Here's the complicated aspect is we don't know what a lot of these genes are. But one of the ways that we know this is they've actually done extensive studies on younger siblings of autistic children, and they've shown that they that younger siblings have approximately a one in five chance of having autism themselves, which is really much greater. Yeah. Yeah. And so they know that that is because in large part um, of genetics, they've also done twin studies like fraternal twins versus, you know, identical tr- twins, all of that. Like there's been a lot of research on more of what I call the human level of trying to understand a little bit of like risk factors and all of that. Um, and so I do see, you know, I used to work on one of these studies and what I would see is that parents that already have an autistic child sometimes would hyper be hyper vigilant into every little thing. Um, and so there's a balance. We don't want it creating so much anxiety for you that you're worrying on a day-to-day basis. The reality is that autism is a collection of behaviors. And so no one thing is diagnostic in itself. And so that's where some of these really early warning, you know, indicators get a little tricky because what we do know is that we see children who eventually are diagnosed with autism, you know, don't social smile at you know, the age. I mean, and that happens really early. That's happening in the first like two months of life, you know, and seeing a delay in that. Joint attention is another really big one. So this is this idea of looking between an object and a person and being able to shift gaze. Mm -hmm. That develops before one year of life. It develops Mm -hmm. usually around nine months of life. Um, So it's like, those are really strong indicators in the research The trouble is, and the difficulty with this is, is that if parents see one of those things, it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, no, does my child have autism? Um, But I would say as they start to cross over the year into, you know, getting 12 to 18 months, that's where Mm -hmm. you can really start to pay attention. You know, what we start, we can, like I said, we can actually diagnose kids as young as 12 months of age. The diagnoses Mm -hmm. just aren't as stable. Um, I personally have seen kids where immediately. I was like, this, this is autism. Um, and the child ended up eventually getting diagnosed when a little bit older. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, the reality is, is when you start seeing multiple behaviors, you're seeing difficulties, you know, with things like eye contact or they're not trying to communicate. So you'll see kids with language delay. We're not just Mm -hmm. worried about language production, like, Mm -hmm. but developmental delays, sometimes they can be linked to autism. They're not always linked to autism, but other forms of communication, gestures, pointing is a really Mm -hmm. big one. Um, But then also looking at how they, they interact with their environment, which is often what we think about restricted repetitive behaviors. How are they playing with their toys? Are they lining them up? Are they doing the same thing over and over again? Are they not playing with them in the way that they were designed? Mm -hmm. Um, 
are they having a lot of like sensory difficulties? Like you mm-hmm. can't wear certain clothing on them or, mm-hmm. you know, they're a really picky eater, for example. Um, mm-hmm. You might see flapping, you know, things like that. So, but I would look at more of the collection and look for multiple mm-hmm. signs before you start to like really go, okay, do I need to have my child evaluated? And and, and I think for me, you know, uh, seeing on social media, there's so, uh, I think a huge disservice that happens when people are like, oh, you see how my kid does this. They have autism. Go get them. Your kidneys get tested too, right? I really highly recommend that you 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 just listen to experts versus a random parent. You know, my my son had uh, tongue ties and cheek ties, which supposedly is a very controversial thing in the medical world. I didn't know that. A lot yeah, of doctors I didn't know think it's either. fake and not real, and a lot of doctors think it is real. I don't understand. Huh. Whatever. Uh, he did. I saw it. It like literally wrapped around his gums. And uh, when you go to these Facebook groups of support groups, it is like the worst case scenario, scary world. What support and and what can you say to parents who are starting off on the diagnosis journey or maybe have been in the diagnosis journey for a while? Their kid is not a baby anymore. They're in high school. You know, and I know they're different, you know, different stages and questions and maybe support needed of a future of your kid. Um you know, and I'm not talking just severe. I'm talking, you know, even mild autism or high functioning, uh, anything of that nature. What are some of the supports and people can find, or what are some of the things that you would say to parents who are just starting off that journey? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think like trying to educate yourself from some of like your providers. For example, don't be afraid to talk to your your child's pediatrician. Um, I do always give this caveat though, and there are some incredible pediatricians out there, but I also have seen pediatricians use more of the wait and see approach um, where it's like, okay, let's just wait and see, or I'm not seeing anything concerning in the office. Everything's fine. And I really tell parents like, this is something I say repeatedly in my practice is, okay, I might be an expert of autism, for example, or your child's pediatrician might be an expert in like child health and development. And, you know, all these other experts, the school, for example, they are experts of, you know, of education. But here's the reality. You are the only person, you and your partner, if you have one, that are the expert of your children, right? Because you're the one with them day in and day out that's seeing them. So don't be afraid to advocate, you know? And I think a lot of people don't know that they can go. I think this is true of the mental health field in general, that they can like bypass primary care to get access. You know, sometimes there's insurance limitations. um, But a lot of times you don't always need those referrals, you know? And so you can go on something, you know, like psychology today has like, you can look up all the therapists and connect with that therapist directly. And even if they can't directly accept you because of the insurance reason, they'll help you navigate how to get that referral to see them. Um, And so I think, you know, building a team of experts can be really, really helpful. Um, Trusting yourself as a parent, listen to your gut. And then um, I will say, and this is a little plug, but this is what I do on my social media. Like, you know, on Instagram, I love educating about autism. And I am launching a Facebook community for parents um, that's really focused on, you know, personal growth and empowerment. And this is a place that, you know, 
you can come and you can get the support. You can ask the questions. Um, unfortunately, so I've started to join a lot of autism like Facebook groups, because I want to educate myself too, in particular, like on many different levels, but in particular on the neurodiversity side and what autistic individuals themselves are saying. And I have learned so much and I'm willing to sit there and listen and take it all in. And, you know, across the board, sometimes what I see in these groups is there's a lot of shaming of parents for asking questions. And that just breaks my heart because if you can't find a safe place to be able to ask your questions. Like that is such a lonely journey. And so that was one of the things that inspired me to launch my own Facebook community. Even though there's a bunch out there is there will be no shaming, right? I don't care what your question is. Like, and there's a way to educate people too without bringing shame. Like maybe they do misspeak, you know, for example, I'll just tell you, um, high functioning is something that is actually we don't say anymore, you know? And so like, but there, there's a way to be able to do that, like, versus me being like, why did you say high functioning? You shouldn't have said that, you know? Um, and we learn together. And guess what? Even being in this deck or in this field for over a decade, I'm still learning and I'm still listening. And sometimes I ask dumb questions too. And that's that's where you learn. But I don't think shame needs to be attached to that. So that was really the driving factor for launching this Facebook community. I love that. And, and you know, it, it's such a misunderstood. And I think only recently in the past five to seven years, people are really talking about this often. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I want to ask this hard question. Let's do it. I love hard questions. You were blunt. I love to be blunt. It's like my, my, my style is no BS with lots of compassion, right? Yeah. There's a lot of thing in the mental health world of like, oh, I have a diagnosis. So it's an excuse for X, Y, and Z. Well, I have anxiety. I have depression. So, you know, what was me? I can't do. Um, yeah. How do we help other people who might not understand what is truly going on in someone's brain yeah in someone's world without looking at it as an excuse or a disadvantage yeah what are some of the things that we can teach or educate the other people that are not neurodiverse yeah i think one of the biggest things is that we tend to just as humans jump to conclusions um and i think learning to kind of just ask a question and sit back and truly, truly listen. Um, and, you know, the reality is with autism, it is a disability. So there are some things that are more challenging that we yeah. do absolutely need to make accommodations for. Yes. Learning, for example, in school, that's why IEPs exist. Um, and we also don't want to automatically for autistic individuals assume they can't do something mm -hmm. um, or, or that they're using it as an excuse, right? Um, I think a great example is like a lot of times what we're seeing with kids, and I see this with really, really little kids and I have talked with parents about this, is it's not that they can't hit these developmental milestones. It's not that they can't learn to point. It's not that they can't, you know, learn to say words or mm -hmm. communicate. And say words is not the most accurate, but communicate. Let's just say communicate broadly. Yeah. Because there are some children that don't learn to communicate in what our neurotypical standards are. Mm -hmm. 
But guess what? They're still communicating and we are missing it. And this is mm. one of the things with doing early intervention I'm I'm coaching and supporting parents through is noticing these communication bids and paying more attention to them. Because when we, just like any human being, when we pay more attention to something, they feel more seen and heard. Um, mm. But we got to slow down. We got to be willing to stop and listen and pay attention and let go the other piece of this is let go of our expectations that it mm-hmm. needs to be a certain way. And, you know, like I think, for example, that sometimes historically we've seen like kids stimming and it's like, oh, that's disrupting to their learning. We we need to stop the stimming so that they can focus on what they're doing. And it's like we've embedded an expectation that Mm -hmm. because their body is moving, that that is distracting. But what we actually know is it's typically pretty regulating for them and that we don't want to interrupt that process because it's helping them to self-regulate. It's a form of self-regulation. And like, we don't interrupt other forms of coping and self-regulation. So some of it is we need to let go of our own expectations and also be willing to listen. And I am going to totally own that when the, you know, autistic community started to be very vocal about, you know, what their experiences were like and all of that. I sometimes, I initially was kind of like, oh gosh, like I almost felt a little threatened. Like, what does this mean for, you know, my job? And they're, they're, they're saying they are experts and they are, they're experts because they have lived experience in it. And But it was just discomfort in me. There was nothing I was like adamantly opposed to, but it was learning something new. It was being willing. Okay, for example, we historically, the medical world calls autism, autism spectrum disorder or ASD. The, mm-hmm. the autistic community, the autistic voices are like, no, that's that's not what it is. It's autism or it's autistic, you know, um, and it, you know, really viewing it less as a disorder. And so I that was hard for my psychologist brain. But when I finally learned to be like, okay, it's not a right versus wrong. Let's listen. Let's inform ourselves. Let's let's take a step back and rather than being the one on the forefront talking, let's actually just spend some time taking it all in. And mm. that was a huge change. And there was discomfort, but I I challenge people to do that. Let go of your own expectations and step back and actually listen to the autistic voices that are speaking out or to an individual child or adult, you know, about their experiences. And if they're not verbal, there's other ways that they're still communicating with mm. you, but you have to slow down enough to be able to notice those. Oh. Yes. Yes. Everything. <laughs> like, I, I don't even know what else to say. Cause I was like, I had so many questions and you, you just summed up so, so much passion and, and, and love in, in such a beautiful way. Thank you. You know, I, I think one of the hardest things for a lot of people is when a potential is lost. Yeah. And so many parents get so afraid of like, well, this is what I expected my family to be. This is what I hoped my child would turn out to be, whether it's marriage, kids, jobs, career, life. When I was diagnosed with ADHD, um, I had terrible social skills. I was not okay in the way that I dealt with, with social abilities. Um, and, um, 
you know, I remember the day I graduated grad school, my mom lost it because she's like, I didn't expect you to be here because I, I, I struggled in school. I was great outside of class. Yeah. You know, and, and, and there's so many things that people assume based on a title or label that you have. And I think it's, it's such a disservice to the people themselves because whether you have ADHD, autism, um, whether you're Down syndrome, whether you, whether you have um, anything in between, because it's such a huge array of human beings that are just different, yeah. not a problem, nothing wrong with them, just different. And they're not broken and they don't need to be fixed. And they all communicate and, and fill the world with love in their own way that you don't understand because you're not them. And that is okay. And you don't need to understand them to love them, care for them, support them, help them, be there for them, be a friend, listen, all the things that you do for any other person. It is just an adjustment and a pivot. And I yeah. think that's a hard thing for a lot of people. I know when my wife and I, we, we, we couldn't have kids the normal way when IVF. It was a huge pivot of our mindset to be like, wait, we got, what? This is not what we expected. So imagine, you know, and, and, and this happens in so many different places of the world in all different lives, in all different ways where you have to pivot your mindset. And once that pivot happens and you accept the reality, this is a mental health thing called radical acceptance, right? It doesn't mean you like it. It doesn't mean you enjoy it. It means that this is the reality. Now, how do I deal with it? Right. Yeah. And you feel all the feels and you cry at night and you fill your life with joy. And when you have those moments of happiness, you are, oh my gosh, my child just spoke for the first time and they're 13. Yep, exactly. Like, that is power. Now, they've been speaking to you since they were a baby, but not maybe in words, verbally full sentences, but they've been tapping and, and making noises and pointing and doing things. And, and, and you're not alone. Because there's a huge community of people and there's supports and there's websites and there's organizations and, and amazing therapists and, and like yourself and professionals who are just doing amazing work. So I, I really commend you because there are certain fields people are very afraid to get into. And I think this is one of them where like people are afraid to get into it because of what it might – of like just the uncertainty and how to deal with it. And I, I, like I said, I think we have to have you on part two on, on the idea of diagnostics, awareness, sure. understanding. Uh, I think this is just an introduction to, uh, to a longer relationship and a, a few more episodes that are going to come and uh, we'll schedule it soon. But I would like to ask you the last question I, I would like to ask today is, is if, if someone never or hasn't listened to anything that you just said, which is kind of weird that you're at this point in the episode, but welcome. <laughs> What would be one to three things that you hope someone would take away of the knowledge and expertise that you bring on autism and everything in between when they are starting or figuring out even for themselves who just got diagnosed for a loved one that's diagnosed or someone that's been dealing with it in their family for years? Yeah, I have three things that come to mind. Number one is that it is just a different way of your brain thinking. 
is what it comes down to. And so I think, unfortunately, we're working on this, but there still is a lot of stigma. But trying not to stigmatize your loved ones for thinking differently. There is some amazing brilliance that comes out of thinking differently. I actually just learned this fact. It's not a verified fact, but a fellow psychologist told me this, that they estimate that something like 75 to 80% of NASA, that the individuals working there are autistic. And look at what is being created. And yeah. so when we start to let go of expectations of things need to be a certain way, or that even, you know, for an individual themselves, like, I don't think like other people, like learning to fully accept that that is what makes our world world go round. And I love what you said is we need to think of people as human first because they absolutely are. And that is incredible. Number two, though, I and this relates back to what you were saying, is it is there is a lot of expectation shifts that as a parent, when you're getting that diagnosis, you know, when you're supporting your child through development and all of that. And It is about learning how to shift expectations and it is okay to have all your own feelings and emotions in that process, you know, and learning that's a hard thing to do is to actually shift. So give yourself the grace and compassion as well, because you're learning, you're navigating, you're figuring this out and you truly are the perfect person, the perfect parent for your child. So step into that and own that. And number three is remember, you're the expert of your child. So don't be afraid to follow your gut, follow your intuition, even if other providers are around you saying that you're wrong. Um, be willing to listen, hear their perspective. But at your core, if you're like, there's something, you know, I need to get my child's the support, keep advocating. Mm-hmm. Oh, Dr. Tay. Okay. Thank you so much for being on the show. Where can people find more stuff about you? Where can they reach out to you? Where can they learn from you? Absolutely. So I'm on Instagram and TikTok at um, the period doctor, DR period Tay. Um, also starting a uh, Facebook community. It's going to be called Involve the. Um, it's the personal growth and empowerment community for autism parents. So it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash evolve autism. Um, so come connect with me there. And if anyone has questions about, you know, the diagnostic process or getting support or what services I offer, um, they can email me directly at taylor at drtaylorday.com. I do have a website coming soon, but it's not launched yet. Thank you so much. Really? Yep. It was such a wonder. We have to, we'll talk later about getting you back on. Sounds more good. I'm back. Um, but thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of the dude therapist. And it only is happening because of you, the listeners tuning in every week, even twice a week to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics. And really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. 
I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on, I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week and see you next time on the Dude Therapist Podcast. So we've got more guests and more great content coming your way.